Hello team, it's Pam here from Alt Marketing School. I have a question for you right now and that is what would happen if you could market to hearts and not brains? What would you think would happen if you knew that you could make the world a better place with positive impact marketing but putting purpose and results first? If you want to find out, then come and join us for the Alt Marketing Certification. Our six-week digital bootcamp for professionals who want to do marketing differently and advance their career along the way. Join me and our six incredible teachers to learn how to advance your career with confidence by applying effective systems and frameworks to the latest trends. The next cohort is coming up soon, so I would love to have you join us. And all you have to do is apply to join at altmarketingschool.com slash learn. Go to altmarketingschool.com slash learn to apply for the next cohort of All Marketing School certification. Hello and welcome to Make an Impact Show, a podcast run by Creative Impact Co. Our mission is to help creatives grow their business, hone their marketing, and share their stories via outstanding content. Hello everyone and hello Amy, welcome back to the Make an Impact Show. How are you doing on this fine day? Hello, it's lovely to be back. I am very good. How are you doing? I am very, very excited. And actually, I'm looking at, and I will be holding in my hands, but it will make too much noise, the latest issue of the magazine, which is the reason why we are here today. How did you enjoy your copy? Because I did send you one of the limited edition prints as well. I loved it. It's so nice to see all our hard work in print. Um, I think the online magazine is amazing and it always really... I love reading it, um, but having something told in your hands just feels amazing. And I did say, I was like, it looks so professional. I do love that you were actually shocked about how good it looked. I was like, yeah, okay. But it, it's true. And as you say, you you know what it is because you put so much work into it. And obviously the digital version, it's available to anyone and is 100% free as long as you are on the newsletter, you'll be able to read it. But it's kind of different when you can actually see in print version, which is actually, as, as you said, is a lot of work and is even more work. So it was a really learning curve for us. But these are just prototypes in case you're like super excited about this. So I would say go to our Instagram at Creative Impact Co because we will be doing some giveaways uh, with some print copies. But realistically speaking, it's just a little gift for our cover star right now and just for us to test and see the quality and see where we can take it forward. But um, yeah, um, I will echo what you said. It felt really good to be able to see it and to touch it like a weirdo, just kind of like touching it multiple times. <laughs> no, also, I think the quality is amazing, but it's also recycled paper, isn't it? So we try to make them as eco-friendly as possible. So yeah, so we can have something to hold on our hands, but also not make too much of an impact on the planet. Exactly. Or make a slightly more positive one. So yeah, that was a big thing. I was able to find printers and that's part of... When you want to create something, you just sometimes forget to think about every single thing and every single aspect. And there was a big thing for me. So finding somebody that would be able to do everything recycled from the cover, which is still has a bit of a glossy feeling to the actual pages was really important. So yeah, this, the small things will make all the difference. So thank you for reminding me of that as well. And I also love it because we did the first limited print issue 
with a very, very interesting topic and a very, very interesting cover star. It was so lovely to talk to Ruby. And obviously I had the track that you're going to listen to guys in a second. But also I think even reading probably her story must have been really interesting because of, you know, the perception that we have around sex, which is literally what we're going to talk about. And also pleasure. I think it's really interesting to see that. And I was also going to ask you, like, from what you have read and what you've seen from the article, is there anything that stood out for you before we jump into the chat itself? Um, I think, I mean, it was all a really eye-opening read. I think it really makes you question the kind of norms of society and especially kind of the education you receive at school and at secondary school. And a lot of the not maybe myths but just the kind of misinformation that floats around and the kind of topics that are a bit more taboo still and I think she's really breaking down those barriers and I think it's just really important um but perhaps even more important is that it's not just a trend this is something that needs to change for good so that to open up the space of pleasure and everything for everyone and yeah it's not just trending right now Exactly. And I love that you picked that up because that is a big part of the conversation. And that is something that she reiterated a few times, because what we want to do is not even normalize sex per se, but we want to make sure that is represented in a way that it should be as something unique, extraordinary, fun, or also in some ways empowering. And I think that's really what the element of sex positivity that she is trying to bring in the conversation is so key. And sadly, you cannot see her in the chat, but if you do download your digital copy at creativeimpact.group slash magazine, you will be able to see that Ruby is a pink haired sex educator and the pink hair is lush. And she's on a mission to get people talking more confidently and inclusively about sex. She's curious to have the conversations that many shy away from, like the one you will hear today, with a nuanced perspective that holds inclusion and sex positivity at the very core. And this is really what I'm hoping today with this chat, you get inspired to think about and also maybe ask some questions to yourselves. So without further ado, I would say let's crack on and let's listen to today's episode. Hello, Ruby. Hi, how are you doing? I, I... I'm good, but I'm not as cozy as yourself, I would say, right now. <laughs> right now. I am freezing today. I just needed to like get back into bed. So that's what I've done. I've got a hot water bottle. I've got tea. I'm very happy right now. So yeah, the the, the actual envy is real. Like There's like a bit of like fluff and warm envy, but you know what? <laughs> I want this to be a little chat. So I think you are in the right setting for it. So uh, I'm really excited to have you. Thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure. And with that, actually, what I like to do, just to kind of warm us up a bit, almost literally today, uh, <laughs> there's not going to be jumping jacks, just in case. But what I'm going to do, I'm just going to ask you a couple of, of questions just to get, you know, a tiny bit better. Obviously, there's going to be loads of stuff we're going to talk about, but I just thought a couple of things. And these are quick fire questions. So again, are we ready? Quick fire questions starting I'm off ready. with a bang? Let's do it. Cool. All right. So Ruby, what is the first job you had and what did you learn from it? My first job was doing face painting for kids parties when I was like 15 or 16. And I learned how to 
<laughs> distract children sounds wrong, but like to keep kids occupied and entertained while I was doing all the face painting because children are very easily distracted and want to know what's going on over there and over there. So that's where I started learning how to communicate. Love that. And also that is probably a skill that every single parent in the United Kingdom, if not everywhere right now, would want to know from you. Pretty much. <laughs> well, I have to say, I don't know if I was very good. I was quite, uh, you know, those leaflets where with face painting where things are like super accurate and you know that it's like a dog or a butterfly. I was a little bit more avant-garde and freestyle than that. So the kids always loved it. But I think some of the parents looked at me and was like, what the hell is she doing right now? <laughs> Well, you know, talking about your artistic flair as well, which I think is a good thing. So if anything, and also as long as the kids love it, seriously, that's that's what matters. Yeah, exactly. but I love that. that. That's awesome. And I think also working with kids can teach you so much about sometimes like, like I think being around kids can teach you a lot. And I, I work with kids myself when I was younger, a couple of lives ago, and it teaches you so much on a yeah. personal level about sometimes taking yourself less seriously and actually enjoy having fun a bit more because I think we almost unlearn that the more we grow old. Totally, yeah. Yeah. When it comes to the second question, this is a bit more specific and it's in the last six months. So we're going to go a bit bit further back. So over the last six months, what is the best investment that you've made? So it can be a hundred pounds or less. It can also be something that has no monetary value. But if it is monetary value, something of a hundred pounds or less, what would be the best investment you've made in the last six months? Oh, that's a really good question. Hmm. I'm going to need a minute to think about this because I that's the kind of question that I just absolutely love. I'm trying to like look around my room for inspiration. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I... I bought, um, yeah, in the last six months, I bought a really gorgeous uh, satin eye mask that's pink. And it was a lot less than £100, but it has made me so happy because I didn't realise how much light comes into my room when I'm sleeping. And it really helps my quality of sleep. And it also makes me feel quite luxurious. So and, you know, I'm spending a lot of time in bed right now. So anything that you can do to help <laughs> glamorize that experience is very nice. That is actually one of those uh, things that can make such a difference into your sleeping patterns as well. So it's, it's kind of like one of the, you don't need, you can have obviously the fancy stuff. And we talked about actually in a past episode about sad lights, the lights that actually mimic mm -hmm. the, the sun. So that's kind of where you're struggling to actually get up. But I think, you know, it also like just being able to have a more pleasant Going into sleep experience, just sleep is so important. And as you said, now more than ever, we're starting to actually realize how much of a difference it makes uh, yeah. because we're spending so much time within those areas of the house. <laughs> I love that. Where, where was it from? Do you remember? Oh, it was somewhere from Etsy. It had, so I love the Powerpuff Girls um, and it had Blossom, who's like my favorite Powerpuff Girls, had a little like stick iron on patch of her, but she fell off somewhere. So now it's just plain pink, but the iron on is somewhere and like, in my true crafty nature, I've saved it somewhere to like repurpose it and use it somewhere else. And I'll find it in three years time and be like, oh yeah, now I can use that. <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. Now I almost want to know the answer already, but hopefully I'm, I'm mistaken. But the last question is, what is the trivia category that you'd be really good at and why? The trigger category? Is that trivia? Like trivia. Oh, perfect. I mean, 
Powerpuff Girls, I would be really good at. I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, that would be my go-to. But also, I, um, I'm quite good with history. I'm like quite a history nerd, especially if it comes to things in my field and like history and like the history of sex and relationships and kind of weird, more gruesome parts of history. So I think I could take a stab at that. I just wouldn't get anything right when it was like the dates of when things happened. So Leah, I have a similar thing where I remember I always was fascinated by history in general, uh, but I was really, really bad at dates. Like I, I'm shit at maths and I appreciate that. And anything related with numbers is really not my forte. Yeah. So, but I do love this. I think it's also an element of loving the stories and understanding where some things come from. And actually, I'm going to ask you now, because I know that your book, Sex Ed, is a lot also about the understanding of how things work, but there's also an element of different stories and different elements, actually, that relate to sex in our brain. And you'll talk, we'll talk it through as well. But I was wondering, just from me and on an outsider perspective, I have heard and read and even watched some videos about, obviously, the history of some elements, including, I think, the vibrator, I think. I don't remember if it was a vibrator, but maybe it was. <laughs> um and I always find that I think there's a lot of misconceptions or a lot of stories that are currently untold around these topics, especially when it comes to the origins of them. So again, given that you told me that you're a bit of a buff also about the historical side, can you tell me a bit more about whether are my you know, fears founded or not? Is it really that we're still there are some things that are not fully talked through or be unclear about the history of some elements, especially when it comes to sex and kind of sexual history? Well, the I mean this is all stuff I'm very passionate about but I'm not this is just me as like a happy little nerd so this might not all be correct it kind of falls outside my like day job but I think when it comes to our attitudes of like historic times and the sex and the relationships that people were having at different times in history the Victorians have a lot to answer for because they were a society that the underbelly of that that society was like absolutely filthy. It was where like visual, like photographic porn was first a thing. And there's like so many beautiful, like incredibly smutty images and pieces of text that are written in this time. And it's like really bawdy. There's loads of like kink and fetish stuff going on. But at the same time, it's super, super like pur puritanical and very... Um, it changed the narrative of lots of different historical eras, like, for example, like the Greeks and kind of taking any like homoeroticism out of that narrative, talking about the Dark Ages and like making uh, their version of like mid like medieval or dark middle history. I can't remember the phrase of it. Uh, religion like fit the Victorian type of religion more. So I think our image that like people from ye olde times were like super prudish and didn't have sex and like thought it was terrible all the time that's inaccurate because people have always been having sex and <laughs> I think pretty much for as long as society has existed we have been having sex in like wonderful weird creative ways so I quite like to remember that because we're not the first people who have invented this <laughs> like people people have known about this for quite some time 
I love that. And also, again, it could be like the fact that this has been recorded in 2021, so it's quite fresh. But then the first thing you said, as soon as you started talking about the Victorian era, I just started thinking about Bridgerton for some reason. (laughs) Just been like that controversy as well about obviously how much of that is staged, how much that is not. And obviously like kind of the little nuances within that as well. Yeah. Well, I, I love Bridgerton is such a great show and I am a massive fan of it. Um, and I'm also a really big fan of the TV show Harlots, which is set maybe 30, 40 years before Bridgerton. Now my timelines are getting all mixed up, but I think around that time. And Harlots follows the like the underbelly of London society and like sex workers and that community. And and I think watching both of them together is a really good example of like high society and everything being prim and proper, but also quite, you know, for a modern viewer, very salacious and like the producers have really like amped up the sex in Bridgerton. Um, but then all of the other, like the, the kind of sex work and industry around sex and bawdiness was happening at the same time. And it's quite important to remember, like both of them coexisted. And I love because that's one of the things, obviously, that when we talk about sex, especially understanding it, I love that you know, kind of flipping the script between the image, which by the way, I'm going to say for anybody who has this image in mind, in Italy, we don't do that. I'm Italian by origin. Uh, but, you know, the little like banana with the condom and just kind of like showing people. <laughs> we don't even do that in Italy. So, you know, like there's no bananas, no condoms. Um, but I love the image because I know it's quite, quite a bit of a stereotype of like, you know, what you will learn and, you know, as much as you learn. And that's also, that comes probably from me not being as, you know, not having the first-hand experience, especially when it comes to definitely the way that in Britain, as like, you know, sex education has been taught or people can actually educate themselves. So my question is, obviously, through the research of the book and even writing the book, what would you think were some of the areas, you know, always talking about obviously what we know and what is implied, do you think have not, you know, have eventually come to the surface as point of communication, but for a long, long time, they've been a bit hushed, hushed the things that we didn't want to talk about or parents and whoever it was felt not really open to share as much. Yeah. Well, I think so much of our sex education at a young age comes from the things that are not said more than the things that are said, the information that's missed out, the like the conversations that you know you shouldn't be overhearing or that you're kind of shut away from as a younger person And all of that creates a lot of shame that then we have to just carry around for the rest of our lives. And that's really hard if we're not encouraged to do something about that and like open it up and actually see if we can get rid of some of that shame in lots of different ways. And that was something that felt really important to talk about in the book, because I come from a place that is very positive and joyful when it comes to education and to sex. I want people to feel empowered. I want people to like have the agency to make choices that feel right for them. But at the same time, I didn't want to shy away from the difficult things that happen when we have sex or when we think about sex. And shame is kind of at the the like core of all of that. So I don't want to just like sugarcoat everything and act like everything to do with sex is totally fine and there are no issues because obviously there are sometimes. That's the kind of biggest overarching thing And then the other thing I'd say is like our relationship with how we talk about pleasure and how we teach pleasure is completely messed up. Like there are still biology textbooks that have diagrams of genitals that don't have, don't like show the clitoris and don't like name the clitoris. 
even now, we're, we're still only like 20 years from the anatomy of the clitoris being fully explored and spoken about, you know, like we've been around for centuries. We've been having like sex for millennia and, <laughs> and like no one thought to like really properly in the last hundred or so years, like have a look at the like sexual organ that provides the most pleasure in our bodies. So there's still a lot of nerves, I think, around speaking about pleasure. And especially when we're young, you know, the conversations that we hear around sex are like fear mongering. So like, don't get pregnant, don't have an STI, don't have sex with anyone who isn't like the binary opposite gender of you, all of that stuff. But very rarely do we actually get into those conversations of like, what does pleasure look like? How important is communication in in finding sex that feels great for you and you know all that stuff so that's that's what I feel really passionate about talking about and on that note I actually want to ask you a, a question relating to this so I would almost see has the then the pleasure also goes back to the self-love and loving yourself which is not just by the way I love the idea of self-love but if you do I, I'm doing like a little hashtag with my hands is that thing where then you're like <laughs> what you know what is you know what what do we assume is that actually what we mean by self-love and what then becomes the trend so you know it's kind of understanding between those yeah. those lines and which is great obviously when things catch on it's great because it allows us to talk about things further but it's also then taken into a proactive space of not just the quotes but also how can we put it into practice so I was thinking when it comes to that what would be something that you would say for somebody that might be listening and they're like I don't really see how I can kind of bring myself to evil, like fully feel that pleasure because I'm still working with that element of self-love. And by that, I mean, maybe is the body image, maybe is understanding their own body. What would you say is something that people can start doing something that maybe either you write in the book or something also that you've seen has worked really well that can be really start that almost internal conversation and confidence? Yeah. Well, self-love you're you're right to point out has become a real buzzword over the last few years which you know I'm not unhappy about because I think it's really important to raise the profile of the conversation but at the same time you're you then run the risk of oversimplifying quite a complex uh, concept and and also I think a lot of versions of self-love that we see now in the media are very performative and it's very much like this is what self-love looks like and I want to encourage people to stop thinking about what self-love should look like or what their pleasure should look like and really think about what they want their pleasure or their self-love to look like because it looks different for all of us and I think it's very much it's a very inward looking process it's not something that you need to talk about to like shout from the rooftops and like share on social media if you want to do those things that's absolutely wonderful but that's not like that's not mandatory when we think about kind of understanding ourselves and connecting with ourselves uh, at a like deeper and more confident level one of my best friends Rosie Pendlebaby who I co-run a body positive and creative empowerment life drawing class called Body Love Sketch Club she's amazing and one of the things that she says a lot when we talk about self-love and body positivity is that it's not something that happens overnight and it's also not something that you just do once. So it's not like if you were like a bit smelly and you need, and you had a shower, you wouldn't get out of the shower and be like, I'm clean now. I never need to have a shower again. 
you know it's it's an evolving process and it's something you have to keep doing it's a muscle that you have to keep exercising so there are no cheats here there are no like (laughs) quick ways to feel comfortable with yourself and comfortable with pleasure it's about like making a commitment to really look at yourself as you would a friend who you care about and not someone who you are inclined to criticize or judge or put a a large amount of pressure on because all of this happens I think I think the way that we develop self-love is it's really nice when that can happen organically and I know that's quite vague I'll try and give some actual advice (laughs) as well Um, but I think it's really important to like put that sort of mindset in there because I, I don't think this isn't a, a kind of situation where you can find a blog and it's like five ways to love yourself and you do all of them and then you've just completed the process. It's very personal. And again, it's like looking at the difficult things as well as the really positive things and allowing yourself to like feel those and not having to feel great all the time, but having faith that you're going to work through it all. To be honest, to me, like, even just what you mentioned, which you might feel is not as practical, even just that reminder that, you know, sometimes what we see are, again, like the quick fixes or, you know, the, the clickbaity headlines, you know, the five things that you should do or that you can do. It, it just reminds us again, I think is very important in itself. It is a practice to remind ourselves that we're all different. And as you said, like, what well, might work for you might not work for somebody else, but also, you know, the little habits and the little daily things even that you can do are much more powerful because as you say, it is like everything else, a muscle. And we, especially what you mentioned, like if it's a conversation that has been shut down or maybe even felt like there's an element of shame and guilt around it, it means that for years and years and years, you haven't been able to practice the little thing that will make you understand. Also, obviously, but I do love, even if it's hard sometimes to obviously recommend one thing, I love still being able to almost try and see what works for yourself Mm. and the little things that you can do. And actually, I wanted to ask you quite specifically, because I love that you talked about, obviously, uh, the Bot Loving Sketch Club. And I wanted to ask you, when did that idea come between you girls and also how how has been the reception so far and what are some of the things that you almost have learned by inviting people and seeing obviously them kind of putting that into practice for themselves yeah well we um Rosie and I have been running Body Love Sketch Club for coming up to three years now and like most things in my life which I'm very grateful for like it kind of happened organically and we you know we are best friends we have been friends for many many moons and we both come from a background where we life modeled for life drawing classes a lot and we were also running life drawing classes and both of us had really transformational experiences with nudity and with our relationships with our bodies through life drawing spaces and so we started chatting about how important that was and how we kind of wanted to create a space where other people could experience that and that's where body love came from body love sketch club came from so it's been really nice and we've had especially over lockdown we've been doing all our classes virtually and we didn't think that that would work very well and yet we've been doing they've been sold out since march <laughs> like doing amazingly and people can't seem to get enough of them and it's just that invitation you know at a time where a lot of us are stuck at home a lot of us are dealing with lockdowns and not seeing 
you know, not having that contact from other people that really helps us to feel grounded, being able to do that in a way and feel grounded and connected with our own bodies and other people's through a screen has worked really well. And, you know, there have been lots of friendships that have been that have <laughs> happened through Body Love Sketch Club. People send each other drawings that they've done of each other. We had some like we've had some people who have recently been kind of healing from surgeries and different like health issues and actually coming to our classes and looking at their bodies, you know, when they're getting to know a scar or a real visible change in their body has been very important. So there's, I think it's really important to start when we think about the body, start about the relationship we have with it on our own, whether that's in a kind of sexual or non-sexual way before we then think about how our bodies operate with other people as well and with all of this it's you've got to do it in in a way and at a time that feels right for you but I think it's very important to share some of these experiences and like talk to some of the people in your life about them it doesn't need to be like grand and performative and like all over social media as I said although if you want to do that join the club I definitely do that but just talking to a friend about body image can be really important because it's so easy for all of us to walk around feeling very isolated in our concerns or worries about our own bodies or body image or the ways that we criticize ourselves and the ways that we compare ourselves to other people. And in reality, I think most people are dealing with a version of that and the added shame that we put upon ourselves of, of knowing that we shouldn't be thinking that that is the thing that I want to get rid of. It's fine to have days when you don't like your body or you don't feel sexually confident or, you know, you're dealing with real challenges when it comes to your body and your pleasure. But we need to find ways to have to have, like really start conversations about it, because as soon as we realize that everyone else is thinking a version of that, too, it kind of takes the weight off our own mind a bit. I'm loving that. I'm going to add an extra layer to the shame conversation because there's one thing especially as women and I'm, I'm talking to the women side of our listeners which I think is something that we really struggle to talk about and that is the m word masturbation self-pleasuring whichever <laughs> which whichever word you don't have to say like I said it but um and I find that it's really interesting because I find it's still something that almost not on a personal level but on I can relate to that you know, you almost kind of start learning how your body works. And I think in a way it comes to that acceptance, confidence and lack of shame, but also there's an element, again, from what I'm seeing, and that's why I'm asking you, also of education, just to understand how your body works. Because we think we know it. Oh, oh that's that's what my, my vagina does. Oh, okay, gotcha. So I think, um, and obviously in my, again, this is more personal experience, I guess, but it makes it better because you actually make, take the time to understand how your body works and how you can actually give yourself pleasure. And then, as you say, when you're opening up to somebody else, you can help them make sure that you're having the best experience. Because I think that's also quite important when it comes to the individual. So yeah. Shame around masturbation and overall the conversation and maybe even something that you cover in the book about, you know, the things that maybe we don't know or we should actually be aware of. Yeah. Masturbation is one of those big topics that's getting a lot of airtime right now. But even still, I'm like, we need to talk about this more <laughs> because and and I the word I like to use most often is solo sex because that shift in language feels very important to me because this is just another type of sex. 
And it's it just so happens that it's just sex that you're having with yourself, not with someone else as well. So when we change that language, I think it it shifts our perception of solo sex and it kind of elevates the importance of it in our minds. Because masturbation isn't just like an afterthought. It's not something, it, it is still, it is a valid, real form of sex. You can have a wonderful, happy, fulfilling sex life and never touch another person sexually in your whole life. I I am a full advocate for that. Uh, I've spoken to women who have come to my workshops before who are in their 50s and 60s and 70s who've said that they only really started masturbating uh, kind of over 50 and that they don't have a partner and that it's the best sex that they've ever had in their life. So, you know, it's like the power of this is really overwhelmingly beautiful and something that we I I would love to see more encouragement about not not only just like talking about it and normalizing the conversation but viewing this as a place where people can really understand themselves and form kind of confidence and agency over their bodies and over what feels good and explore like exploring pleasure in loads of different types of ways it's yeah, I'm never going to get bored about talking about solo sex because I just think it's like the foundations. It's the foundation of all good sex, <laughs> basically. Um, and it's, you know, there's still a lot of stigma for women and like girls, young women to start these conversations about solo sex because there's so much like historic denial and shame about them but then at the same time we still have a very specific and I think a very limited conversation when we talk about male pleasure and solo sex because you know most of the time men wanking is viewed as like the butt of a joke or it's something that's linked to the over sexualization of men and male sexuality and I think especially when we depict like sort of pop culture depictions of it can almost be seen as something that's a bit like sad and pathetic and that really upsets me as well it's not just it's just not it's not just one group of people who will benefit from a broader and more nuanced and joyful discussion of solo sex I really think it's something that can benefit everyone and that goes back to that element obviously being able to have that open conversation and almost accepting what are some of these stereotypes not to be this is actually not things are going and and then again encouraging to actually have those conversations because again first of all I love I'm I'm, I'm a word uh, a word of woman a woman of words that's the one <laughs> <laughs> a word of woman that could be interesting so I do love the idea of actually changing the semantics in order to make it something that is a lot more impactful um, when it comes to just thinking about it because it completely in the, some of the problem with some words that we use is they have attached, like when you said wanking, for example, to me, you know, I have a, you have almost like a visual image instead of like say masturbation, whether it's female or male, you have another image. It's kind of weird. And you say you have the connotation of, you know, why you do it or how you do it. And I think, you know, it's almost like being taking back that power from some of those words and almost putting ourselves in front of the reason why we, we have these thoughts and why we associate these things. So yeah. You know, it's kind of, I think a lot of the time we think that education is mainly about the pleasure, which obviously should be also about being able to pleasure yourself and others. But how can we also make it in a way that it can, as you say, make us feel more empowered and also almost removing those stereotypes that actually 
almost stopping us from talking about things in a way that yeah. is quite clear and and honest I think um because you you don't want to imply things that are not there which is just come kind of, it's like a big you know uh what's that those little big paper castles and you know once it starts pulling things out then it all kind of falls down okay, um, yeah. that's kind of what I see this conversation and as you say it's just being able to continue the conversation keep it honest in the midst of as you said the new type of hair time that is getting because I'm, I'm expecting especially for somebody like you who talks about this all the time I personally have seen it and it's not obviously my expertise but it's a good thing but I've seen you know 70 million different magazines like telling me what is the best vibrator ever to buy something that I wouldn't have seen five years ago so it's really interesting to see you know how these things then change what what is your opinion on that as in obviously especially for somebody who talks about it a lot um why do you think there's been this change this shift especially when it comes to the mainstream side of things I mean I have a optimistic answer to that and I also have a really cynical answer to it because the cynical side is people have figured out how to make money off of it like that we're still it's it's really it's annoying but all of these conversations have like a capitalist edge to them. And I think people figuring out that like the sex toy industry aimed at women and people with vulvas is this huge market of people who are like really up for investing in tech that is going to improve their sex lives. And that has created, in some ways, it's really great because it's created more innovation. And it means that there are these like amazing products that are being created and a lot of women-led companies who are sort of new onto this market and making really cool stuff. But there's there's a big like capitalist and consumerist element to that as well. So I'm always wary when I see these conversations in magazines because there's so much to be gained from them, don't get me wrong. But there's also something in the back of my mind of being like, okay, what are you also telling me to buy? <laughs> and it's impossible to escape that. Look, I have a book. I would, it, I, it would be really nice if people bought it because I think that it's a good thing and I think it will improve people's lives. But there's, I, I, as we all are, I'm also feeding into that message. I'm not trying to like position myself as this high and mighty outsider. But it's just, I think it's important for all of us to think critically and kind of think about what that does. I I love that this these conversations are being given more time and that loads of people are addressing them with real nuance and curiosity. And I guess I'm I'm interested to see what happens when solo sex and pleasure and sexual wellness become slightly less trendy because they're still going to be here there's still going to be me and loads of other educators who are talking about this stuff and feel very passionate about it but I wonder what happens when we shift and the next big thing becomes the trendy thing that we're talking about because this is not just a trend this is something that impacts all of us throughout our lives whether you are sexual or not you know asexual people still benefit from these conversations about pleasure and agency and navigating consent and figuring out what you do and don't want to experience in your body it impacts all of us and because of that I kind of I feel very strongly about like carrying forwards these messages in 
an empowering and like a continuous way that isn't is going to evolve with the times but isn't going to like just start or stop depending on if the mic's been handed to me and to people in this community we're gonna we're gonna be shouting about all of this for like decades to come even if it's not cool anymore (laughs) that's what we want that's what we need and that's why it's so important as well and also that's the reason why I asked you um it is obviously being in the industry and like working within wellness for eight years now I have seen the trends and you know whether we like it or not I have seen things that shouldn't become a trend become a trend because as you say of reasons whether it's purely monetary reason whether it's also just the coincidence of events and it's why I think it's always important when it comes to this type of conversation to say, to remind ourselves of that and just to be like, okay, now we're opening up and we're talking about it. And so we'll see everywhere. Obviously you get prompted to think about these things, but, you know, and there's almost like my question to you is like, you know, how can we keep up the conversation when let's say the, the, the trends start to fade and maybe something else comes up in the surface and bubbles up. What are the things that we can do? And I'm going to even push it a bit more. Oh yeah, you're going to push it. Uh, not just as individuals with our peers, but also as parents potentially, or, or as people that are educating younger people. What do you think are one or two things that we can do just to keep that conversation? Obviously for you is is your livelihood and your job, but even just like in our small little world, us, when it comes to being able to, make an impact on others yeah well you totally hit the nail on the head thinking about it in terms of parents and and like the way that we talk about this with younger people because I think a reason why this is very popular right now is because many adults are realizing that they didn't have the sex sex education that they needed when they were younger and so a lot of us are playing catch up as grown-ups of being like oh I needed all this information I needed all these messages quick now I'm really hungry for them so the societal thing that we can all do is provide these messages at an earlier age and ensure that it's kind of age appropriate education. I'm not talking about like, you know, a lesson about porn for like six year old kids. People get very freaked out when they think about relationship and sex education for different ages. But, you know, I'm I'm an ambassador for Brooke, which is the UK's leading sexual health charity for young people. I worked there for five years. I feel very strongly about the conversations we need to be having with young people and parents have a have a real important role in that. So very simple. Start people. I would love to see people getting comfortable with using like correct medical terminology with their children and with their colleagues. And, you know, I want people to use the word vulva and clitoris and like frenulum in conversations. (laughs) I want people to feel able to mention to a colleague at work that they've just started their period I want people to you know be able to talk about thrush and cystitis and infertility <laughs> I'm, I'm drawing from my own personal experience so a lot of those examples are very like womb specific but it can be way broader than that obviously and yeah, I I think any effort that we can do, we can make towards de making this less of a kind of sensationalized topic. It's not about normalizing it because, like, I don't want sex to be normal. Sex is wonderful and like fun and juicy and sometimes really challenging. Like, normal is a boring word. I'm not interested in that. But I don't want it to be sensationalized. You know, it's not it's not there to be salacious it's not there for like the enjoyment of others it's 
there's a very kind of practical pragmatic side to it and I think we could all do with getting more comfortable with that I agree I think the element of you know being comfortable and again I also think one one more thing that I'm going to add or just kind of a little thought is also we need to think about also the way that our cultures will affect the way that we feel confident and like almost challenge that and appreciate that and be like okay we know maybe we are again I do bring it up sometimes people are like stop it but the Brits are more reserved I'm Italian therefore I still have them in my blood I I'm always a bit more open to talk about things than maybe and even involving actually like sexual sexual conversations that to me is just normal in the way that it is something that I would talk about then I get like the little weird eyebrow or the little like little giggle and I'm like okay so it is interesting to see also <laughs> culture I don't know if you've ever had that like the hmm. well in different generations as well it's like it's cultural and it's also generational and another really important thing with this that I feel very strongly about is not rushing this change you know a lot of people over the last five years have found sex positive communities and are like oh, this is what I want I love this I want everything about this I want the world to see sex through this lens and then there can be a bit of a pressure for other people to get behind that really quickly and that doesn't happen overnight you know I I used to train professionals uh when I was working at Brooke on a whole host of like topics about sex and you can't expect people when they have received certain messages about you know gender and sexuality or abortion or porn or whatever it may be People, people can't change their perspectives overnight because it's a gradual thing. So again, you know, we don't want to be complacent and just let people carry on kind of shameful and negative messages. But at the same time, I really believe in a more nuanced approach. It's not black and white. It's not just getting people to like change an opinion straight away. That's not how you change minds. You, you've got to give people the space to have conversations and evolve in their own way. I love that. That's, that's a mic drop moment. So I'm not going to comment <laughs> on that. I'm just going to leave it there. Let it sink in. Now I have the last question. The hardest of them all. The one that we ask everyone. Ruby, if you were to have brunch with anyone, dead or alive. Oh, oh, the joy is dropping. The joy is dropping. Who would this person be? Oh, that's so hard. <gasps> anyone. I know. Oh, this is too hard. I think you are Phil, huh? <laughs> I mean, because I'm still very sad about her passing, the person I'll say today is Betty Dodson, who I talk about in my book. She she passed away like within days of my book coming out. And I had always hoped to travel to New York and go to one of her workshops. She is a pioneer in the sex positive movement and until she was like well into her 90s was still teaching masturbation classes for women out of her New York apartment and I've read her memoir she had a fucking wild life (laughs) and the way that she kind of navigated queerness and sex and pleasure and fought against second wave feminists who were very sex negative and kind of really paved the way for what we now consider to be like a more intersectional sex positive feminism. And and also she's not a woman without her flaws. Like I'm not trying to, she's not perfect. You read her memoir and there are some things where like, I really strongly disagree with her, (laughs) but I just think she's amazing. And I really wish that I could have met her. 
So I'll have br- I'll have brunch with her. <laughs> oh, that's amazing! Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for uh, for taking the time to share your wisdom and to just you know educate us all a tiny bit more to make us think. That's what I love. So thank you so much for that. Oh, thank you for writing really your book. It's really lovely speaking to you. Thanks so much. If people want to find out more about you, where should we direct them? Where should we propel them? So Instagram is the place I'm the where I'm the most active on the internet. Um, so follow me on there to kind of stay updated with what I'm doing. Also please read my book. I think it's, you know, if you, if you like what you hear in this conversation, there's a whole book of this (laughs) with a lot of really practical information in there as well. Um, And it's gorgeous as well. It's illustrated by Sophie Birkin and is just like one of the most sumptuous visual books I've ever seen. So that's great. And I also have a mailing list. There's an, there's a link to that in my Instagram but if people want to kind of stay up to date with events that I'm doing, that's a really good way of following that. Thank you so much again. Have a lovely day. Oh, thank you so much. Bye. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to check our show notes for more juicy goodness about this episode. If you loved it, please take some time to give us five stars on iTunes. And make sure that you let us know your ha-has and takeaways on Instagram at creativeimpactco. Also, you can find out more about us on our website at creativeimpact.group.